Hi, everybody. Welcome to the July 27, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the New York Times publishing a piece about the legacy of former Denver Mayor Benjamin Stapleton and its connection to his great-grandson, Republican candidate for, Walker, for Governor Walker Stapleton. Patty Cahoon from Westward, uh, some people have called this a hit job. Uh, some people have had that they think it's going to be an issue for the rest of the election. When you saw the piece in the New York Times, what did you think? Well, we'd heard about this for a while. In a state where you have a mountain and a town and a road dedicated to territorial governor John Evans, who essentially was found culpable with the Sand Creek Massacre, the past is always going to be with us. You have to acknowledge it. Stapleton was a hot topic before the great-grandson of Benjamin Stapleton, mayor and KKK member, decided to run for governor. He needs to acknowledge the past and then move on. But he has to deal with it publicly. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Is there an angle from this whole event that we're missing out there in the public? Well, the, the theme of the New York Times to its core Manhattan readers is you need to be very afraid of everything west of the Hudson, and especially uh, out in those big square states where they all have guns, they're married to their cousins, and most of them are Klansmen, and so you'd be safer visiting Paris or London uh, rather than, than venturing into crazy uh, areas like New Jersey or, or Pennsylvania, let alone Colorado. Um, one of my friends from my kid's school was actually a descendant of one of the Byzantine emperors and actually had, exact, he had the exact name as one of the Byzantine emperors who, like the Ku Klux Klan, were extremely anti-Semitic and anti-Catholic. But this guy was very nice and he wasn't prejudiced against anybody and there is no reason to impute to our current gubernatorial candidate the misguided views of his great grandfather. Eric Sonnen, political analyst. It's July, so we see something like this. I don't know if it's going to have much of an effect, but it's the name of a neighborhood. There's protests, not protests there, but there's trying to change the name there. Does this have any legs past this week? It's something he'll have to address. It will continue to percolate. It's not going to decide this election. It's not going to be what we're talking about uh, come November. This one for me, and I, I've been outspoken on it on social media, it's a pretty easy one. What Walker Stapleton does, his record, his values, is completely fair game. The fact he wants to wrap himself up in Donald Trump, have Tom, Tom, Tom Tancredo give his nominating speech, all of that is fair game, and he needs to answer for that. There's a concept in this country, you know, that we don't hold the kids responsible for the sins of the parents. We're not talking about the parents here. We're talking about a great-grandfather who was dead 30 years before Walker Stapleton was born. I think this article was a stretch. I think it was questionable journalism. And the, the quicker it's forgotten, though it won't be, the better. Penfield Tate, attorney at QTech Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. So as a uh, former elected official, uh, how do you handle something like this when it comes down the pike at you? It, Walker needs to do, I think, essentially three things. Number one, um, he needs to make sure he quits hi hiding from voters. And when the New York Times does an article and wants a comment from you, you need to be available for comment. Good, better, and different. You need to speak to it. Secondly, I, I agree with much of what's been said. He's not responsible for what his great-grandfather did. But I think what some people are simply looking for him to say is, that was my great-grandpa. I'm not a Klansman. I'm not a bigot. I can't change what happened before I was born and move on. And third, he needs to do that because he's wrapping himself up in Donald Trump and some of these policies, which many people perceive to be racist or 
oriented against people of color. So he needs, for his own sake, to, to give himself some separation and just deal with the issue once and for all. Initiative 97, a potential ballot issue that would increase the mandatory setback distance for oil and gas wells, made headlines this week. A signature gathering company working for the measure packed up and left town last week, leaving some workers unpaid and leading to a lawsuit between them and the supporters of the initiative. Meanwhile, the, Dem the Colorado Democratic Party decided that they are in support of the measure. Patty, uh, in addition to what's happened here, then they saw the, uh, former Secretary Ken Salazar come out and say this is likely unconstitutional in an event he was at just this week. Tough week for supporters of Initiative 97. What do you think? Well, Ben Stapleton was not involved in fracking, but you can see that fracking is going to be the most fractious issue of this campaign just by what went on this week. So yesterday morning, Colorado Rising had a press conference and filed, filed a lawsuit accusing their signature gatherers of taking at least 15,000, 20,000 signatures away, quitting the job three weeks before they have to turn in 100,000 signatures, valid signatures, to be on the ballot. And mysteriously, at the end of the day, the missing signatures were found at a Greyhound bus station here in Denver. So they were sent back. Colorado Rising, which is pushing Initiative 97, is back on the beat trying to collect the signatures. Funny, Joe Salazar, the candidate for AG, is the lawyer on this case now, pushing. And here, the person he was often confused with, Ken Salazar, at a meeting yesterday, Ken, who's been doing a lot of work for Anadarko, comes out against 97, says it's not going to be constitutional. I think it will be the one, every, it'll get on the ballot, and it's going to be the big, hard-fought one with a lot of oil and gas money coming into town before November. Dave, when you hear things about a lawsuit and lost signatures or now found signatures and everything back and forth, uh, putting something on the ballot in Colorado can seem easy, but uh, it can be expensive and maybe not as easy as always, especially since a similar initiative as this one failed to make it because of signatures last time. Uh, do you see bigger problems ahead for supporters of Initiative 97? Well, among other things, if, if they get it on the ballot and they win, then... Uh, former Interior Secretary and U.S. Democratic State Se U.S. Senator and Democratic Colorado Attorney General Ken Salazar's point will be tested in the courts, and I think he's likely right that this is a uh, unconstitutional taking of private property without just compensation. People have vested rights. When you buy the land, you buy the mineral rights underneath it. You have the right to develop them, uh, and this 2,500-foot setback is designed to wipe out uh, the oil and gas industry and the, uh, the landowners who have oil and gas to sell in Colorado. Um, I think it's notable that Jared Polis opposes it, and yet the Democratic Party has officially endorsed it, just showing what a, a Jacobin uh, organization it has now become. I mean, when, when Jared Polis says that an anti- oil and gas law goes too far. That's like Tom Tancredo saying, well, this bill against immigration is really too extreme and I can't support it. And yet the majority of the Democratic Party apparently does. Eric, uh, let's keep on that point by the Colorado Democratic Party coming out for this. I guess I'm wondering why at this point, if it makes the ballot, maybe it's time to make a stance on it. But it, I would imagine that there's more Democrats like Ken Salazar that probably don't want to have to... Uh, I guess, make this their litmus test during the election, maybe I'm wrong. Do you think most mainstream Democrats want this one to go away? 
I think most Democratic leaders, operative strategists certainly want this one to go away, but that's not who was at the meeting that voted on it and why they passed it, because it feels good. It, 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 it motivates their juices. This is the same group of people or a subset of the group of people who passed a resolution at the State Assembly about Democrats for Education Reform and that whole dust up that we had two or three months ago of uh, that Ed Reformers shouldn't call themselves uh, Democrats. It feels good. I can't wait for the same group to uh, soon find some opportunity to jump aboard a march for science and talk about how uh, Dems are the party of science when obviously uh, most people these days use science to justify their pre-existing view and on this one I think Democrats are you know glaring in the face of much science in terms of uh, the safety of that industry or at least the relative safety of that industry I think for most voters there's going to be a test of reasonableness should there be setbacks of course there should be setbacks but should be the setback be basically half a mile just shy of half a mile that doesn't pass a test uh, of reasonableness to me just lastly, uh, this whole thing with the signature collection, I think we're again seeing that the whole petition process and all the petition firms that are out there, it's sort of the dark underbelly of the political system. And it's a system with plenty of underbelly. But this is the really dark underbelly of the system. And increasingly, we're seeing these firms get into trouble or get into controversy. Uh, we'll see if they make the ballot with these signatures. Penn, you routinely talk to influential people from both parties. What do you think, behind closed doors, do most folks, at least on the Democratic side, want to see this thing go away? Uh, you know, I, I think a number of folks on the Democratic side want to see this thing go away. Um, what you have, though, is some party leaders who think that this is a measure that will motivate and activate the base um, in this very um, tough and likely tight um, gubernatorial campaign and, frankly, the fact that Democrats want to take the Senate since they now control the House. The other thing to consider with this measure is it increases the setbacks I think to 2,500 feet, but we already have setbacks in law. It's 500 feet, except around schools, it's 1,000 feet. So one thing we need to be clear with voters and everybody is the concept exists. The question is, should it be expanded? And, and one of the points that is still missing in this entire debate that has bothered me from the beginning, and, and Eric sort of alluded to it, is I wish somebody would get the science right and put it on the table so we could understand what the real science is about this, about fracking, and a host of other things. President Trump announced this week that the government will provide $12 billion in relief to American farmers feeling the impact of tariffs. However, many Colorado farmers claim it is only a short-term fix and they would rather seek out better trade deals with the USDA. David, is this welfare for farmers, or is this a, a needed boost for folks in, in a needed trade war? Well, if, if somebody comes along and breaks your leg and then gives you some crutches, uh, you're, you're worse off than you were before, but at least the crutches were, were a nice thing. So uh, helping the farmers in this way is, is good. Uh, I, Trump's trade war, I think, is misguided in general, um, particularly when aimed at U.S. allies like Canada or, or France or uh, Germany. There's an exception, though, and I think he's exactly right uh, about the problem with China. China is a hostile, totalitarian, imperialist dictatorship. Its entire trade policy is geared towards industrial espionage and 
supplanting all of its trade partners to become the dominant economic power in the world within a, a decade or two. Uh, they are engaged in ethnic, ethnic cleansing in China. They are taking steps for an imperialist takeover of Taiwan against the wishes of the people there. And, of course, their running dog lackeys in the United States, like the airlines, go along with that, and they're changing their maps uh, to produce fake maps that pretend that Taiwan is a part of China when it, in fact, is a, has been an independent country uh, for many decades and hasn't been under Chinese control for a very long time. So uh, if we need to help the, the farmers because of the uh, trade war with China, good. And I hope that war goes on for a long time. Eric, what do you think? I mean, I, I see prominent Colorado farmers coming out against this, but I, I, well, I have a garden. I've never farmed a day in my life. I don't know if this is a needed uh, subsidy at this, this stage of the game. What's your view? I can't tell you whether it's a needed subsidy. I think David's right. If somebody's going to offer you a subsidy in this day and age, most people are going to take it. I think this one is first and foremost about the midterm elections coming up. And obviously Republicans are swimming upstream in this election climate to begin with. But if they're going to defend seats and maintain control of the Senate and, and, and the House uh, at the federal level, they need red America. They need rural America. And these, the, the, the trade policy, the protectionist policy of the Trump administration is hitting some of those rural, small town, deep, deep red districts very hard. And uh, Republicans are very worried about it, hence some of Trump's trips uh, recently uh, to to middle America. So I think this is first and foremost about that. It's a head-scratcher that if these policies are working so well, then why do we also have to come up with $12 billion uh, in welfare, corporate welfare, call it what you want, for farmers, whether it's over the short term or long? Penn, $12 billion is nothing to sneeze at. That's a, a lot of money, especially to suddenly become available. Uh, is that going to raise more eyebrows than it's going to help? You know, all of this should raise eyebrows because this entire tariff war that Trump has started is stupid and misguided. When you think about it, you put a tariff on imported goods, basically what you're doing is raising the price of the goods for American consumers who are going to buy them. The idea being if the price goes too high, then maybe you won't buy them. But at the end of the day, we pay more out of our pockets. Then you get a retaliatory tariff by another country that imposes the tariff on livestock and other produce, which is what our farmers are now feeling. And now we as taxpayers are paying for the original misguided effort because we're going to have to pay $12 billion of our tax dollars to bail out an industry that's in distress because of Trump's initial decision that's been made. None of it makes any sense. And I think it is going to attract attention. I think people are going to ask. And even some red state elected officials are saying, you know, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. If we've got to come up with $12 billion because of a fight we picked, is this the right fight? Petty, uh, what do you think that is going to be the reaction, I guess the continued reaction from folks in the eastern and I guess the western edges of Colorado who are facing this problem? Well, $12 billion isn't chum change, but it will go some ways to help them. You know, I hadn't realized how much cattle is shipped to China from Colorado, so that's been a big issue here. Let's also remember a tariff that's hitting another industry that I think Trump doesn't care as much about, which is newspapers. Prices are going up 30% because of, of the tariff on Canadian paper. 
And that is enough that the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel is cutting back two days a week will not be in print because they can't afford it. This is one of the reasons. I mean, obviously, newspapers are suffering from a lot, but this is adding insult to injury. The biggest problem with Trump always is he doesn't understand cause and effect or he doesn't care about cause and effect. So if he had looked into what these tariffs would cause, he would have realized how the farmers would be taking it. Jason Crow, the Democratic candidate running in the 6th Congressional District, released a poll this week that shows him with a two-point edge over incumbent Republican Mike Kaufman. The two points are within the margin of error for the poll. Eric, it's mid-July. It's a poll released by the candidate that it helps. Uh, but if you're Mike Kaufman, does this raise your DEFCON level? Oh, Mike Kaufman runs a t total DEFCON 5. Uh, <laughs> one. Uh, you know, or, excuse me, DEFCON 1, you know, when he gets out of bed, even on a good day. That, it's not going to change Kaufman's DEFCON level. Uh, for this district, yes, it's east of Colorado, but for me, I'm starting to regard the 6th Congressional District as being from Missouri, i.e., show me. Quit telling me that the Democrats are going to win this district and show me. We've had Congressman, or not Congressman, Joe McClosey, who is supposedly going to beat Mike Kaufman. Congressman Andrew Romanoff was going to beat Mike Kaufman. Congresswoman Morgan Carroll was going to beat Mike Kaufman. None of them not only beat him, but even gave him a close race. Obviously, 2018 is a different year. Republicans, as I said on the previous question, are swimming upstream. They're swimming against the tide. If Kaufman is ever going to be gotten, it is this year because of the year, not because of anything related either, particularly to either of these candidates. But uh, I'll go back to my original comment. Show me. I still regard Kaufman as the favorite until somebody takes him out. Penn, you run for office. How much do you put into a poll in mid-July? If I'm Jason Crow, I feel good. If I'm Jason Crow, I agree with everything Eric said. The proof's in the pudding. You've got to show me. Um, and, and I think Jason's best shot is this is likely to be an anti-Trump year. And we need to be mindful of the fact that, that Trump didn't win the Republican nomination in Colorado. Ted Cruz did. So there's not a lot of love necessarily for Donald Trump. So Jason Crow may have a fighting shot, but Eric's right. You, you have to show me. Patty, I thought a long time ago Kaufman would get uh, what I call Perlmutter status. Perlmutter doesn't get real competition anymore at Perlmutter because he's won that enough where they're not going to beat him. I think if, this, if a Democrat was in office, maybe uh, Kaufman would get that. Um, but he doesn't have it so far. Is he at risk? He's at risk more than he has been in the other races. But I think so far, yeah, he's at DEFCON 1. And he's on DEFCON 1 dealing with Trump. I mean, he is not weakening his stance on Trump that I've seen. I mean, he is going after him on the tariffs, on the farm issues, on ICE. So at the moment, he seems to be bolstering. No one's going to come at him from the right, at least now. He's, he's improving his position, but it's still a tough race. David, wrap it up for us. Well, show me. If, if the poll is so good for you, then release the data on the poll, which the campaign won't do. Ernest Lunning wrote a very good article in Colorado Politics about that and said the, these kinds of things are, are fundraising gimmicks. Kerry Kennedy also released an internal poll that showed her uh, four points ahead of Jared Polis in the primary that she ended up losing by 20. So I, I think it is going to be a close race, and, and Kaufman's right to be at DEFCON 1, but this, this uh, poll with the data not shown uh, doesn't add to our knowledge of the situation. 
Let's take a quick take on our final topic. Colorado's VA hospital finally opened last week, overdue and over budget. Congressman Mike Kaufman said that he has mixed feelings about the opening, as he's excited for the new equipment included, but worried about less beds available and the project coming in $1 billion over budget. Penn, this has been a boondoggle we've watched for a long time. What did you think once the, the, the ribbon was finally cut to open it up? I think they shouldn't have had a ribbon coveting ceremony. They should have just started admitting patients um, because, you know, the 27th, I think today is the first day patients would go there. You know, you're a billion dollars over budget. You're five years late. And the men and women who serve this country by, by committing their lives and, and, and serving in the armed services deserve this medical treatment. They deserve better than this. This has been a disaster. We ought to just get it done, put it behind us. And I don't think it's necessarily cause for celebration because you're celebrating a pretty massive failure. Patty, we have less beds available in this hospital. How long, what's the over-under on when we hear, boy, we need an expansion at the VA hospital over in Aurora? Oh, let's give it maybe six months when they suddenly realized how badly it was planned. And the seeds for this disaster were sown early because back in 2004, there was a plan as CU Health Sciences was moving out there to make the new VA hospital kind of part of it so they could share some facilities. The VA hospital would have its own tower. Interestingly, the servicemen and the VA didn't want that, and that kind of set the whole thing in motion because, as CU has shown, they could build a hospital. The VA has not done the same. David, there's a lot to choose from here, but would you put this in the top tier of Colorado boondoggles? Oh, yeah, the, wor the worst by ever, I think, so far in, in our state. I mean, it, it makes all the problems with DIA look like quite minor. Um, all the, all the polls indicate that veterans are very happy with the care they get uh, from the VA medical system when they get it. The problem is there's 30,000 clinical positions unfilled at the VA, and there are, there's a waiting list of 75,000 veterans for care. So the good news is, thanks to recent reforms enacted, there's now a program called Veterans Choice, which says at least sometimes people have been waiting for 30 days. Uh, or more can have the option of, of going to a, a different provider. Nobody should ever be stuck with one provider where you have a wait list that you may not get off before you die. Eric, it seems to me that the fear that we had over this maybe a year or two years ago has kind of smoldered down to a uh, cynical acceptance. But will it have any legs of frustration for, for voters, for citizens, anybody like that? Probably not. There's so much other noise in the system. This noise has receded. I totally agree with David on the, on the choice piece that it shouldn't be a completely captive system. Penn was dead on the mark that this is not a cause for celebration, although he said it was a billion dollars over budget. I think it's closer to 1.6 billion or, 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 or some number higher than that. So you have a grossly inflated, unbelievably inflated project that is late, and you still don't have ADA compliance at a Veterans Administration hospital. You don't have handicapped doors that work. This is not a cause for celebration. Time to go to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, please start us off. Denver has a lot of controversial public art, but one piece that I think is pretty universally beloved is the evolution of the ball, which is at the gateway to Coors Field, if you go through that pathway. Now with the project that the Denver Rocky, the Colorado Rockies want to build, they are going to rip up those pavings that people paid, those bricks. They're going to move the evolution of the ball. The artist, Lonnie Hansen, met with the stadium board. He's going to meet with the Rockies. Let's hope they come up with a solution that gives the fans and the artists their due. David. New Jersey's show horse, Senator Cory Booker, 
who supposedly is the guy who works across the aisle, gets along with a lot of folks, said that if you support the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, you are complicit in evil for supporting a mainstream Republican judge who's superbly qualified. You, you can vote against him, but the complicit in evil is uh, a, a new low for uh, senators already have many lows. I feel our political uh, conversations have really watered down the meanings of evil and things like that. Yeah. It's like, if that's evil, what, what, what are we going to say for like, anyway, Eric? It won't be the last time we touch on this, but the governor's race, to my thinking here in Colorado, is not off to a great start. We have the whole Ben Stapleton, great-grandfather, dust up on one side. There's all kinds of tacit talk on the other side of how do we bring uh, Jared Polis's sexual preference into this piece. Uh, there, Colorado faces many challenges. There are a ton of substantive issues to discuss. Yes, it's only the end of July, but there's no time like now to get started on those discussions. And it seems right now the, the, the besmirching the state of California is the, the, uh, du, uh, the topic du jour, which again, it, it still has an enormous GDP. And I know people move in here, but it, it's just besmirch another state to say, I don't know. I, I, we can get a whole different, different show there. Penn, it is your turn. Uh, yeah, the hit pieces on Polis, are, but that's not my, mine. I'm still with the, the VA. Um, I, I'm distraught that we celebrated the opening because David's right, it's the biggest boondoggle in state history, and it's not adequate, and it isn't going to work right, and it's already probably inadequate and out of date. And it's just it's frustrating that we can't do something right that should be so simple. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Larimer Square, which is Denver's first historic district, celebrated its 47th anniversary yesterday. The good news is that a proposal that would have basically gone against everything Larimer Square stands for has been put on pause. Let's hope it's never released. David? Well, I am carrying concealed something which is at the moment legal in Colorado, but will get you six months in jail in, in Santa Barbara for one, and of course six more months for a, a second one, and that is a straw. It's very useful for people who have disabilities to be able to drink, but they're being increasingly outlawed under the bogus theory that they cause ocean pollution. The pollution of the Pacific Ocean of plastic and garbage comes two-thirds from East Asia, almost all the rest from Africa. If you don't throw your straw in the ocean, but you put it in a wastebasket so it goes in a landfill, no problem. Eric, I'm feeling a hostile work environment here with concealed straws. I just have to put that out there. Um, a block, maybe two blocks from where we, where we tape this show, uh, less than a 2,500-foot setback, I would note. There's an early learning center that was just dedicated for Anna Jo Garcia-Haynes, the Anna Jo Garcia-Haynes Early Learning Center. Anna Jo is an institution in this city, the, the grand dom of early childhood education, and no one deserves it more. Penn. Uh, ditto Anna Jo Haynes and the work she's done. And also Larimer Square. And let's not forget Dana Crawford, too, for all of the work she did there. You're here. If you missed our trip back to 1968, the CIO Time Machine, earlier tonight, remember it will be on again August 1st, Colorado Day at 7 p.m., so don't miss it. I also want to say a special happy birthday to my dad. As today is his birthday, he gave me some advice a long time ago saying, you know, you need to learn how to talk. 35 years later, here I am. So thanks, Dad. Happy birthday. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night. <laughs>